welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, This is going to be a pretty cool podcast because um, I kind of did something a little outside of the box for the podcast this week, and uh, this kind of spurred off um, a picture that, uh, you know, a friend of mine, a good, very active uh, social media guy, um, sent me, uh, and it kind of triggered me into using him as my guinea pig, so to speak, and... uh, using a photo that he sent me as part of a project to help all the rest of you kind of learn from his mistakes, uh, the mistake of uh, whoever set his bow up, and and also I think the same mistake that a lot of people, including myself, um, have had, has had, or will have um, at some point. So um, what's going to be kind of cool about this is I've actually um, I've got a series of photographs that I'm going to walk through as I talk through this podcast. Now, what's going to be a little bit difficult about that is obviously um, you're listening to a podcast, so you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to be able to have access to get these photos at some point. Um, For those of you who listen to these on the way to work, I guess you can kind of listen through what we're talking about and then when you get home take a look at the photo. So um, my plan is going to be to load an album um, that's going to be called, I'll call it uh, Podcast 26 Project, and I'll load an album on my John Dudley Facebook page uh, the John Dudley Athlete fan page, the Knock On TV fan page on Facebook. So there'll be three locations on Facebook. You'll have to look for the Podcast 26 project, and it'll be an album with a series of photos. Um, each photo, when you open it, is going to have a number on it and also kind of a subtopic walking you through each and everything that I talk about here um, for this particular project. I'm also going to try to have um, a link to uh, my FTP where you can download these photos individually if you want to. Um, the one thing that I'll ask, and I'll give, I'll give that, uh, that web link here uh, a little bit later in the podcast where you can download um, the photos just in case for some reason you don't have access to Facebook. Um, But the one thing I'll ask is uh, keep in mind that these photos um, are definitely ones that I've done so and they're also um, some of them are property of the guy that's agreed to let me utilize this. So I would ask that you please don't use these photos um, 
if any of you out there have articles or anything of that sort, um, just please uh, keep the you know the rights to these photos um, to myself and also to um, this particular project. So, um, and I guess just to I'll just give you the link right now if you want to download these photos individually. Um, you would go to www.j as in John, D as in Dudley, A as in Archery, I as in International, N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, dot com forward slash podcast 26. So again, uh, to get the full size photos, you go to www.j j-d-a-i-n-t dot com forward slash podcast 26 and you'll be able to actually download each of the photos individually you won't be able to see them as a gallery you'll have to actually save each one and open it as we look at it but um, this whole project spurred off a photo that um, a friend of mine uh, Michael Fraley sent me um, he's been uh, he's been you know really good uh, in promoting knock on uh, in his areas yeah he, he's actually from um, a former kind of a hometown local town from where I grew up as a kid he actually lives in Round Lake and uh, runs a printing press every day and uh, does a lot of hunting with his family uh, and they kind of have their their own little uh, thing going called uh, Fraley's Big Woods which is kind of uh, everything their family does hunting uh, oriented they uh, they kind of have a few little YouTube clips and stuff that they use within the family which is pretty cool that's how I started out as well so anyway uh, Michael sent me a photo of himself shooting um, a brand new Carter release because um, he had seen that I shot the Carter Simple 1 or the Carter 2 Simple release and he sent me a photo of himself just kind of saying I love my new release um, I feel like it's really helping me um, and that's going to be photo number one so he sent me this photo, and when I opened the photo and looked at it, um, you know, I always am going to critique a photo just because naturally that's what I'm going to do. But uh, he he had really good form. Uh, just looking at the photo, front shoulder position is good. He looks like he's standing straight. His head's in a vertical position. But the first thing that I noticed right away is that um, by looking at that small photo that he had sent me, um, which is photo one, um, right away I would notice where that arrow is pointing that there's potential for clearance issues on his face. Um, so I sent him a message back just asking if he had a few issues with his left and right, and he said yes, I've had I've had a few um, problems with my grouping. So I just told him right away. Um, you know, hey, can you send me another photo um, a little bit closer? Because I was just really wanting to help him out a little bit and show him quickly, 
you know, the issue that I saw immediately with the veins kind of contacting his face. So then I asked him to send me another photo that was a little bit better quality, a little bit closer up, which is going to be photo two. Okay, so when he sent me photo two, I took a look at this and right away I saw that there's problems, areas with his setup um, that I could actually utilize during one of these podcasts. So um, I had Michael actually send me uh, his entire bow and arrow setup so that we could use this during this podcast um, for education. So when I got photo two, I noticed that he wasn't only having potential problems with clearance with the veins on his face, um, there was also problems with how the bow was actually set up. When I look at photo number two, immediately I see that there's actual knock torque on the arrow itself. And this comes from several things. It comes from when he's using a handheld release, if your loop is a little bit too short, what you'll notice is as you turn that release um, into a vertical position, it's also going to twist that loop. And there's a couple things you need to pay attention to here as an archer. One is going to be if your loop is too short or too stiff, which he has both of those in this instance, it's actually going to turn the string and also turn the whole knock and arrow as well. And I can notice that in the picture by looking exactly where the arrow is pointing. Since I can see the opposite side of the underside of that knock, it immediately tells me that that, that hand positioning is actually twisting that string if you're looking at it from the back, it would be almost turning that string in a counterclockwise position, which is why I can see the underside of the opposite side of that, um, that knock. And what you'll also notice is because of that, even though he should normally shoot his, what you call the cock vein on your arrow, which is going to be the red one in this picture. Your cock vein is always the one single um, colored vein. Typically with the follow-away rest, with, which is what he's shooting, you'll typically shoot your cock vein up, which is normally how this is. The cock vein would be up. But because that string is so twisted, you can see that the cock vein is actually leaning towards his face. So there's a couple things here. One is obviously going to be that the loop, um, this loop that he has or that the, maybe the dealer put on was extremely stiff, very stiff. And the problem with that is with a compound bow, it's not like a recurve bow. When you draw a compound bow back, there is less string tension at full draw with a compound than there is when the bow is at rest. So what you'll notice is if you pull a compound bow back with your fingers and you kind of turn the string a little bit left or right, it's really easy to do. Um, and that's because the, the, the actual physical tension on the string 
is more when the bow is at rest. And as you draw back, that that tension actually transfers into the cables and there's a lot less string tension. Now this can be even greater if you're shooting a bow where you have let the limbs out. If you back your limbs out to like decrease your poundage, you dramatically start to decrease the amount of string tension. And you can notice this a lot like on ladies bows or kids bows where you know you can't quite get them light enough so you back those limb bolts out almost all the way you can see that the string is almost like rubber and that happens um, on a smaller scale even with a with a compound bow at 70 pounds and that's with the limbs backed out now even with the limbs tightened all the way down you're still going to have a string that's a little bit looser at full draw than what it is when it's at rest so because of that natural uh, factor as you draw and come to an anchor and you turn your release hand like that you can see clearly in this photo number two that he is causing that arrow to turn and that is going to immediately give you some problems as well the other thing that i noticed in this photo is the fact that he's using a bigger peep with a peep tube um, you know with a good high quality string that's put on correctly there should be no need to utilize peep tubing anymore uh, peep tubing is noisy and it also reduces speed and uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna not be as functional as a hunter when it comes to slapping around or that tube ever start to dry out and crack off and then it doesn't work um, having a string that the peep is at the same position from rest all the way to full draw is really going to be essential a lot of people say is it really worth paying a hundred bucks for a for a custom high quality string and absolutely it is and this is one of the reasons why you know you buy a bow because you want it to be quiet you want it to have the speed that it's rated at and you know being able to have a string that that peep is in the same position from rest all the way till full draw is going to be super critical i shoot i personally shoot winner's choice strings because you know there's a guarantee on them you know no peep rotation so whatever if you can get your peep set to where it's facing straight back at you and the bows at rest it's going to be in that same position when you come to full draw that's going to completely eliminate that need for a really big plastic peep that utilizes tubing so mike sent me his bow and uh, i got the bow and you know right away when i got the bow i look you can look at picture number three this is the bow at when it's at my house right away i noticed that this loop configuration is totally less than desirable you can see that when i knock the arrow um, in both where the little red arrows are pointing you can see that there is a big gap um, a much bigger gap than what 
I would prefer there to be on any type of knock and loop configuration. You can see that that arrow has plenty of freedom to move up or down. Um, you can also see that you know there's a, a brass knock tied or clamped on above the loop um, pretty much you know to prevent that from ever sliding up the string which normally if someone ties a loop and they have to worry about it sliding up the string then really it's just not put on the correct way that brass knock adds weight to the string uh, and it also is gonna you know decrease the accuracy if you ever have to worry about that knock moving up or down because if your knock point moves up or down even a sixteenth of an inch that is a big difference when you look at impact at 30 40 yards it'll be a difference at 20 yards as well with a field point it's not going to make a huge difference um, at 20 yards but with a gap like what we're seeing in this picture this is going to be noticeable at 20 yards and what will happen is if he draws that bow back and sometimes his arrows at the top of that loop and then the next time he draws back and it's more towards the bottom which you'll see in those two photos um, that's going to give you completely different high and low impacts um, the next thing is you know, I really like to keep um, a small space. When I fletch my arrows, um, I like to be able to see a little bit of the, the carbon on the back of the arrow shaft. And this is really for a safety reason. Um, you know, years ago when I shot Target, um, I would always kind of fletch when I shot an all carbon shaft anyway, I would always fletch um, or put my vinyl a little bit forward just so that I could always see a little bit of that, the back end of that carbon exposed. And that's because if you ever shoot the back of off your arrow, you really want to be able to inspect it, um, you know, for any type of damage. That's the one thing that's kind of a downside when it comes to having, you know, a fully wrapped arrow is that sometimes you can't see any type of damage that you might do when you slam your arrows together or shoot the back of a knock. Um, you'll see on this arrow, you can see pretty clearly, um, if you zoom in, it looks like there's potentially a small little fracture, carbon fracture there in the back of that shaft. So you need to be careful of that. Um, if you're, I personally don't shoot at the same spot anymore. Um, you know, I might at a longer distance, but when I'm shooting like leagues, 20 yards, um, there's just no way I shoot at the exact same spot because slapping carbon arrows together is going to cause those little stress fractures which can eventually lead um, to potential danger breaking a knock breaking the back end of the shaft um, and injuring yourself so just pay attention to that as well but for the main thing for this photo number three is just this knock spacing 
go ahead if you have knocks on the outside of your loops you want to be able to tie a configuration where you don't have to have that and also you want to be able to have spacing um, to where when you come to full draw there isn't any type of a gap um, in your arrow shaft typically when you tie a knock uh, a knock set above and below the arrow see I like to tie knocks and then put the loops on the outside of the knocks because that way if I ever need to replace my loop I don't lose my knocking points um, and it also just tends for me to be a lot more consistent and if I ever have to twist my loop a little bit it doesn't slightly move up or down the string um, because because when you tie a, a loop tightly onto a, a string you know that serving when it's put on it slowly spirals up the string so if you really put a loop on your string really tight and bite it in if you continue to turn that around a string it'll actually slowly work its way up or down the string um, just because the way it's biting onto that serving which is actually put on in a spiraling motion so you know pay attention to that you really want to be able to and I think I talked about this in the last podcast um, if your knock spacing is correct if you take the point out of your arrow and draw it back to full draw your arrow should still stay on the arrow rest it shouldn't lift up out off the arrow rest and also when you come to full draw you shouldn't be able to to have any play up or down any type of gap up or down with your arrow knock inside of that loop configuration so now if you go to um, to photo number four um, this is another thing that I noticed with this setup um, you know this is a really big I had talked about this briefly it's a really big peep apparatus simply because it has to utilize that plastic piece that holds the rubber tube so eventually we want to be able to eliminate that you know sometimes shops will set up a string they'll just put it on um, you know if you don't put several shots even through a, a pretty good string a pretty good string a great string you can normally shoot three or four shots and they're settled um, a pretty good string um, you know you might have to shoot 20 30 40 arrows through it to get that string to settle a little bit sometimes even um, leaving your bow kind of in some heat not for too long but even you know leaving it in some heat for 30 or 40 minutes to where that wax will start to bead out of that string um, it'll really help your string settle and then have your shop rotate that put your bow in the press and rotate that peep to where it's pointing straight back at you so as you draw back you don't have to rely on that peep tube to turn your your peep into the correct position this is the way Michael's was in photo number four when it came to me it was pointing straight out to the left so um, even when I took the peep tube off when I drew it back it was still pointing out to the left it would turn slightly but it would still be pointing to the left so he did need that peep tube on there another reason why you're string might want to turn as you draw it back is sometimes when you wrap 
your when a peep is served into the string and it's twisted around in one direction like this you can see that there's a pretty long serving above and then all the way down the one side depending on how that's done if if you serve that in the wrong way or you serve it really tight um, sometimes that'll actually cause the peep to turn as it comes back as well so I really like to just tie over and under knots um, I'm trying to think I used to have um, in one of the seasons it might have been season three of knock on TV uh, during one of the dead center segments I showed a really cool way to tie in a peep sight really fast I'll try to um, to find that and see if I can load it um, onto the knock on archery YouTube channel here uh, within the next week so maybe keep an eye out for that but I'll show you um, if I can find that clip I'll show you a way easier way to tie knocks above and below your peep so that you can also slide them a little bit to snug them into place um, and it'll prevent your peeps from wanting to twist as they come back okay now let's go to photo number five photo five shows you um, the wristling that he had on his bow <clears throat> and I can notice uh, from from Michael his hands are going to be slightly bigger than mine I mean I have pretty small hands for my size uh, anyway you know someone that uses their hands all the time like he does uh, running the press and everything he's gonna have a little bit bigger hands and his wrist sling was set really tight um, you know when you put your hand in a wrist sling personally I don't use wrist slings anymore just because um, well I, I, sh I guess I shouldn't say that I do use them at times but not really for what they used to be needed for you know back in the day everyone had to have a wrist sling because bows wanted to jump out of your hand and do somersaults down range but nowadays bows really are dead at the shot they don't really react much so you know if you do have a wrist, string, wrist sling it's usually more cosmetic than anything so you want to make sure that you adjust your wrist sling to where when you put your hand in that wrist sling and you draw back, you want that wrist sling to be 100% loose and um, you don't want any tension at all against your wrist or pulling on that because that's ultimately going to cause torque on the bow itself. You know, you can see in this particular picture, when I put my hand in there and then put my hand into the actual grip position, there's a lot of tension on the right side of that wrist sling, which is actually going to, when I shoot, there's more tension on the right than there is on the left simply because of your, the natural position of your hand. So as I shoot, that stabilizer is actually going to want to spin out to the right because of that pressure that's that's on that wrist sling and that's going to cause your bow to actually start turning in a direction in a fraction of a second before that arrow actually fully clears the rest so that can cause your arrow to ride one side of the rest all the way out of the bow 
uh, versus riding both sides of the launcher evenly. A lot of people have um, launchers where you can see uh, where the arrow actually is going down, or sometimes even on your arrow, if you look at the stripes where, um, like if you're shooting a blade style rest target archer, um, the stripes that are underneath there where it's riding the launcher, sometimes you'll see that it's only really riding one side of the launcher all the way out. And a part of that could be because of how you're gripping your bow. If you're tucking your fingers underneath the grip or if you're putting a slight, a slight torque on the bow itself, um, even some of the newer bows that have risers that flex a lot. You know, this is one thing that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I really like shooting um, a bow that has a riser that's stiff enough to where when if you put a long stabilizer on it and you draw that bow back, I don't want to be able to see my stabilizer swing out to the right of my bow. Because if it does, that's telling you that that riser is actually flexing and a flexing riser like that can, you know, it's going to be a, a lot more critical for hand positioning, hand torque. Um, and it could also be part of the reason why on an arrow you notice that you're just riding one side of the arrow shaft all the way throughout the bow rather than that arrow riding equally. So in this picture five, right away, I'm going to loosen this wrist sling up a little bit so that I can put my hand in there and there's zero tension of that wrist sling on my wrist itself. Okay, now if you look at photo number six, this is going to show you um, the knock and loop configuration that I set up for his bow. Um, you'll see that there's a tied knock and loop. Uh, tied knocks above and below you'll notice that the top knock is slightly smaller than the bottom knock about one mil smaller there's also about a half a millimeter space underneath the knock so that when I come to full draw um, both knocks are having a small amount of equal pressure on the arrow knock itself holding it into position um, and you'll also notice that I slightly lengthened his loop just a little bit so that as he turns his hand, the loop itself will turn, but not the string. So what I normally do is I like to have a loop that's right about an inch long. And if possible, like Michael's draw length was right about perfect. It might have been a fuzz. The string might have been a fuzz long on his face. So if anything, you could shorten that bow, um, you know, for him probably about a quarter inch, half inch, he could have shortened that bow. And now with the longer loop, his anchor position will be the same. However, the string will be slightly more forward on his face. Um, I used to have, I did have an article on DudleyArchery.info, and there should also be the same one on KnockOnTV.com under the Articles tab. There was an article that I wrote a long time ago. You might have to scroll several pages back in the article section um, about uh, finding something about loops 
Um, I forget what the name of the article was. I had it in Bow International, um, but it showed a lot of different knock and loop configurations. Um, I like to use BCY 3D material for tying my tied knocks. And then um, for the loop material itself, I either use the poly braid loop or I use the D braid, um, depending on you know the type of release that I have. I don't like a super, super thick, stiff loop. A lot of people right now are making these loops that have a bunch of serving wrapped around them to, to have better longevity and better wear. However... Um, you're much better off having a loop that has some forgiveness in it to where if you have your hand turned slightly different from time to time, that loop is loose enough to where it's actually not twisting the string. And once again, this is why it's important to have tied knocking points on both sides of your arrow shaft because as, if this loop starts to wear down, we can easily cut this off, put a new loop on, and his knocking positions are exactly the same. Um, his bow before was having some tuning issues the way it was before. I went ahead and put this knock and loop configuration on. Um, I put the rest up. I set it at 90 degrees and pretty much just eyeballed the center shot um, and you know you'll see here in the last photo uh, the way things turned out but let's go f next to photo number seven because although I tied my knock and loop configure uh, knock and loop on there the correct way there was also some additional troubleshooting areas that I noticed you'll see here that when I put his arrow on his bow in photo number seven is called visual signs of contact this is something that you should always look for little scuff marks on your veins scuff marks on your arrow rest scuff marks on um, the cage around your arrow rest or scuff marks on uh, your shelf or anything sticking in those are going to be signs that your veins are contacting something as it's going through the bow. And this is going to cause um, really weird arrow flight, for one. It's going to cause um, you to have really bad tears through paper, regardless of which direction you're moving your rest. Sometimes people send me messages and say, you know, I've been moving my rest left, right, up, and down. Yet my air, you know, I still get the same tear. Well, if that's happening, you probably have contact. So when I looked at at uh, at Fraley's bow, you'll see here on the picture on the left, there's two arrows, and that that is pointing towards the little bitty rubber arrow cradle that came with his arrow rest. And what you'll notice is when that arrow's on there. And the arrow is in the exact position as what it would be if you were to shoot it. You can see that there is hardly any clearance on the left side between the vein and that rubber piece. And on the right side, there's just a fraction of space. Which tells me that if there's any hand torque, or especially the way his loop was configured before when he turns his hand and it would slightly twist that arrow... 
it actually will turn that vein to where when it goes through the bow, it's going to barely nick that rubber shelf, which you'll notice on the picture on the right, I've got two arrows pointing to each side of that rubber cradle, and you can clearly see where there's white scuff marks from his veins contacting that rubber from time to time. So that's going to cause the occasional wild arrow. That's going to cause you to shoot some pretty crazy holes through paper. So what I did was, before, you know, again, I, I tied his knocking point on first, got that set correctly. Then I, then I looked again for clearance before I ever shot this bow through paper. I noticed these problems. Then look at photo number eight, fixing the problem. So on the upper left, you're going to see a picture of the before, um, which shows you that rubber piece as it came from the factory. And then you'll see on the bottom left uh, the photo after, which is after my scissors uh, went to it. And I cut that off. I cut it about in half. There's still enough trough there for you to set an arrow in there, and that trough will still be almost as high as the top of the arrow shaft. So if you're, if you're shaking around enough to where a full containment arrow rest won't pick up your arrow, then you've got other problems to deal with. So keep these little rubber things minimal. Um, that's one thing I really love about my Hoyts is they actually dip the front of that riser down. So I never even have to use these. I just put a little moleskin on the riser. And with my um, Trophy Taker Smackdown rest, um, if that arrow is inside of that riser, it'll, it'll be down in the center of that trough. And my arrow, my arrow rest picks it up perfectly every, every time. And I never have to worry about having any of these types of things to give me clearance problems. Now, on the photo to the right, uh, you'll see I've got an arrow pointing now to the difference. Um, now that I've cut it, you can see how much of a difference there is in the clearance. Probably four times more clearance between the vein and that little rubber piece sticking up. So I kind of put a thing on there, clear sailing. From this point, this tells me I've got a knock and loop configuration that, uh, you know, I've got it set at 90 degrees as a starter. Um, you know, I've got good, really good knock, uh, I guess, positioning. Uh, when I come to full draw, the arrow will stay on the rest. Um, there's no space. The string itself doesn't want to turn when I come to full draw. So if you go to photo nine, um, I wanted to show you one last thing before I finally shot this, uh, this particular arrow through paper. Um, the one last thing, and this was what I noticed on the very first photo that Michael sent me, was that the veins were running very close to his face. A lot of people have vein contact with their face, which causes arrow flight problems. I like to fletch put my fletchings anywhere from 1.25 inches from the throat of the knock to the back of the vein, anywhere from 1.25 to even one and a half. Um, but see his from the throat of his knock to where these were fletched, um, and they may have even came from the factory that way, 
um, which isn't always the case. These can vary from time to time. Uh, you know, it was just over an inch. So it was, it was back, it was about a quarter inch difference. What that means is when you draw back, um, even if your anchor and your string comes to rest at a good position, if your fletchings are too far back on your arrow shaft, you're going to run into potential problems with your veins contacting your face, uh, your beard, your face mask, any of that, if you fletch them too far back. So I bring mine, I've found from a lot of testing that about one and a quarter inches um, from the throat of the knock to the back of the vein is a very good position for the most accuracy as well as the best clearance on your face. Now lastly, uh, Photo 10. I took one of uh, one of his stickers that he put in his box, uh, the Fraley Big Woods. That's his little family, uh, his family hunting, hunting theme. Um, this was the very first shot through paper. Um, again, new knock. Um, actually, I was able to take the peep tube off of his peep. I got his peep in the right position. Um, you know, no clearance issues on the rest. It looked like I'd have clear sailing through the rest. Um, first shot, one dot. So uh, this was a, a pretty cool project here. I'm glad I'm able to utilize these photos uh, to walk you guys through these different things I look at. Take a look at yourself. Take a picture from the side and kind of take a look at these same things. Um, do you have uh, veins being bent or feathers being bent because they're contacting your face? Do you see that you're really twisting your string? All these small little things add up to big differences on the target. I hope, uh, once again, uh, if you for some reason didn't hear it on the front part of the podcast, you can um, either download the photos at www.jdaint.com forward slash podcast 26 or I'm going to load an album uh, podcast 26 on uh, my John Dudley personal page the knock on TV fan book page and also um, the John Dudley uh, fan page on Facebook. So either you have to download uh, the photos individually on that link that I gave you, or you have to go on Facebook and check one of those three pages, and you should be all set to go. Uh, before I wrap up here, I do want to ask um, that although I know probably most of you out there are going to want to send me photos of yourself and have me uh, use you as the next guinea pig. Uh, please understand that I can't do this for everybody. Uh, Michael is a friend, uh, and it, he didn't ask for it. It was something that I offered. So, um, you know, from time to time, uh, I hope to use, do these same sort of things, but, um, kind of as I see them, uh, come through, uh, I don't want to get a barrage of everyone wanting me to analyze them analyze their photos as much as I'd like to um, I'm gonna end up being the bad guy because I'm not gonna be able to physically 
answer all the emails and photos that I get sent if all of you guys do that. So I appreciate the support. I really, really hope you guys spread the word on the podcast. Please keep spreading the word. Please click the share button. Um, All this is critical to keeping these things going. Um, Have a a great week, everybody. And uh, if you see some of these little troubleshooting areas on your own setup, get them straightened out, and I'll guarantee you, you're going to put more arrows in the middle. And uh, I want to thank my buddy, uh, Michael Fraley, for letting us use him uh, to help the rest of us out in getting some of these easy problems fixed and out of the way. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.